Hello and welcome to The Personhood Project. I'm your host, Aaron Tyler Hand. In this podcast, we explore poetry's ability to help process trauma, spur personal growth, and reduce recidivism in the carceral system. If these topics are of interest to you, we ask that you follow us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you are currently listening. Joining me today is Joshua Burton, a poet and educator from Houston, Texas. He is the author of the chapbook Fraction Anthology, a 2022 release from Ethel Zine, as well as the brand new full-length collection titled Grace Engine out of view of Wisconsin Press. In addition, he is also a 2023 Elizabeth George Foundation grant recipient. Thank you so much for joining me, Joshua. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you sitting down. It's most exciting for me just because you're the first guest to actually reach out to me and ask to be on the podcast, which I don't know, is like for being a small time podcast, small time host, having someone actually reach out and be like, hey, can I be a guest? Starstruck moment for, you know, this little nobody. (laughs) It was great to be on here. Yeah, I really, um, I got a chance to like, I think regularly I just like check on like Apple Podcasts or Poetry Podcasts and look up authors I'm like interested in, like contemporary authors and stuff. And then I, uh, that's how I found it. As soon as I like heard the episode, I was like, oh yeah, this is definitely one that I would love to be on. So yeah, thank you for having me. No, it's such, that's so cool. And yeah, I just want to say for anyone listening out there, like, if you're interested in being on this podcast or if you like Joshua did be like, Hey, I have a book coming out and I'd love to, you know, talk about it on your podcast or whatever. Like, please reach out, like find us on Twitter, email us anything. I would love to love to have more people who are interested in listening to the podcast be on it at the same time. That's great. Thank you so much. Kind of with that mentioned, you have a new book, Grace Engines. Could you take a minute just to kind of explain what it's about or, you know, just kind of give us like an overview, especially for listeners who might not be familiar with it? Yeah, the, the book started, I was in Syracuse, um, going for my MFA during the second year. And it happened like this interesting point in my life. I was like away from my family for the first time in my life. And I had to like kind of mm-hmm. sit with myself in different ways. And I think there's a lot of these questions that I've been kind of thinking about last those few years beforehand that I think I had the time to actually process. So thinking, thinking about things like generational trauma, mental health, and like um, blackness. And this sort of um, idea of like black strength is these things that I've been like thinking about a lot that year and like a couple years before. And I feel like time away from my family gave me the opportunity to kind of look at myself and my own blackness in like ways that I maybe could have avoided when, while still in Houston, like where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And I think so there's a lot of processing things about looking at some racial violence, how some of these people weren't afforded grace and mm-hmm. how how can I best give myself grace, give my family grace, and show these other people grace who maybe wasn't afforded in, in the actual life, at least in the end of their lives. So just thinking about these different ideas around Blackness and how um, I perceived it many times in my life and how I, th- how I was coming into perceiving it at that point in my life. As you said, you started writing this while you're in your MFA away from home in Syracuse, which you know is like a big jump away from Texas. So I'm kind of curious what kind of new perspectives or what kind of Where was your mindset at when you actually came back to Texas? Like, did it exploring these topics of grace and your blackness affect how you came back to Houston as well? Yeah, I think in particular, like the semester I started writing Grace Engine, when I came back to Houston, it was like this transformative thing. It was really, really interesting because I felt like, I almost felt like a child going into my MFA during that first Mm -hmm. year. I I was kind of like starry-eyed. It kind of just was taking what was given to me and like didn't really question much and I do think I was kind of radicalized in my MFA a bit. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I had like friends there. They started like a, a PLC group in MFA. So all the PLC MFAs kind of together in this group and we kind of been around them, like kind of radicalized me in a lot of ways. So I think that also got me thinking about things that end up being in Grace Engine as well. And then going back to Houston after that was just like very eye-opening. I was able to see things that I wasn't able to see before or like perceive mm-hmm. things and challenge things like I wasn't able to before. Yeah, it definitely prepared me a lot for a lot of things that happened the years preceding. So I think, yeah, MFAs can be like very difficult. It can be like very taxing on um, a lot of people. Definitely like if you're queer or a person of color and um, mm-hmm. they can like really be de- debilitating. And mm-hmm. and it definitely was that for me in ways, but in, but also I think in ways that it was debilitating also like strengthened me in a lot of ways. And oh, that's great. Helped me a lot. Yeah. Outside of, you know, your kind of personal growth that you saw at the MFA program, what else? Um, I'm hoping you can kind of talk about like what other kind of growths you saw maybe in your writing as well, because it's always a conversation. Is the MFA program worth it? Is it not worth it? So it's something it's at least worth bringing up, just how it helped your writing outside of how it helped you personally. Yes, yeah, so I came into MFA with like uh, like a half-finished manuscript already, mm-hmm. and it ended up being like my cha- my first chapbook. In undergrad, I started writing it, just poems about the life of my mother. And when I started that project, I feel like the classes I took kind of changed my writing style in my mm-hmm. undergrad. And then I was like really, really drawn to that writing style for like a really long time. And then when I finished that manuscript, and then it was kind of like like a summer, I was like trying to figure out Grace Engine and what it was going to be. I started writing in like a very different style. So it was like during my second year. And it was like this, it was very interesting because the writing felt like, for me, I think long poems is like anything over a page. Mm-hmm. And so I started Same writing for like, me. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I was thinking like, oh, these poems are like all long, longer. And I, I feel like I had more to say because I was writing more about myself rather than just writing about my mother. Mm-hmm. And I think I was reading a lot of Terrence Hayes and I was kind of obsessed with this idea of like just position, the tension that happens when you put two things together, mm-hmm. two things right by each other and the conversation they had. So I just like started like just supposing everything. It was like, and it's, I think just putting them together caused like this sort of thing where I was able to look at Grace differently. Yeah, A lot of work in Grace Engine is a lot of that just positions. And I think the tension that it sort of brought out was... Um, it did work in itself just to see that tension. Mm-hmm. Like in one of the poems we're going to read a little bit later, um, Elegy for Threats with Grace is just opposing myself growing up with eternalized anti-blackness next to my grandfather and then next to this man named Jim McOheron was lynched. And that tension for me is like, it's actually very self-critical of kind of growing up in his life, like a middle-class life like I did, and then and still kind of wrestling with anti-blackness. And then mm-hmm. my grandfather, who survived and lived a very long life, like dealt with so much like trauma mm. in Birmingham, Alabama, and these very, very difficult situations. And then uh, Jim McElheron, who, who didn't make it out and who was lynched. And for me, that com- it was like a conversation with 23 generations that was like very interesting to me. I think it's like an implicit conversations that are already happening. Reading Terrence Hayes' work, being able to kind of see his how he, he would use that just position, mm-hmm. I, I really latched onto that a lot, and I really wanted to like explore that a lot. So a lot of those early poems is just a lot of just position, trying to explore what that tension is, and and even not even sometimes naming it, just trying to like sit with it in that space. Yeah, so we can expect in Grace Engine to have a lot of juxtaposition when we're reading it to see that and a lot of, obviously from the title, the grace coming out of these tense moments or the tension or the grace that can be found within tension, I guess. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. 
I also want to talk about your chat book that you released last year, 2022, called Fracture Anthology. The chat book, if I'm correct, was written from the perspective of your mother, and you kind of wrote it using journals that your mother passed down to you. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. It was like way back in 2013. I, was, I took this that one class that I mentioned that it kind of forced me to write in this really the style that I wasn't really used to. It was like kind of shorter lyric style, mm-hmm. and then um, and then I found out that I actually really liked the poems that came out of that. And I noticed in that semester I was writing a lot of poems about women. I think I was taking like women's studies minor at that time too. So I was thinking about like feminism and things like that at that time. And then some of the poems came out about my mother and, and in my mother's voice. And then I had the idea to want to write about her. So mm-hmm. I asked my mother if I could write about her. And then she said yes. And then she gave me all her journals. And I had to kind of <laughs> sit with that for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, try to like represent her in the most honest way, but also like respectful way. So I've been thinking about ethical stuff in writing, yeah. like, like uh, persona and like, is there voices that are cut off from us that should be cut off from us? Mm. What are we allowed? And that sort of discussion. So I looking back now, I do think having like my first book, the chat book be like about my mother, like where I came from, is like mm. a good start. Writing about her and through her helped me build confidence in actually writing about myself and Grace Engine. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm sure you learned so much about your mother too, which just, you know, is, is a closeness or a potential closeness with a person who... I can't speak specifically to your case or specifically to my case, but I think like, you know, and in this generalization of parents and children, you know, like we're always kind of kept at arm length from our parents, whether their pains or their traumas or anything like that. In Fracture Anthology, you, you know, kind of bore witness to everything that your mom had to kind of lay out. So I'm hoping you could just talk about how your relationship with your mother changed during the writing process, or maybe even after the book was completed and you said, okay, I'm I'm done with this project. Yeah, I, I growing up, I always felt like a very intense closeness to her. The phrase that always comes to mind is like this twinning. So we always felt like very similar. Even when I was very younger, I like cling to her a lot and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a really strong attachment that was even like kind of unspoken. So when I had the idea to want to write about her, it felt very natural. But after going through the, the letters and then writing the poems, it definitely like created this sense of strong understanding of like what was going on inside like that, mm-hmm. that she just wouldn't talk about because it's you deal with PTSD, you just, definitely you grew up in the 60s and 70s, you just don't talk about it. Yeah. You just don't really know how to like confront it in different mm-hmm. ways, but she will confront it in different ways in her letters and the ones that she let me read. There are definitely parts of the writing that felt very taxing of like, I'll constantly, like almost every few months, am I, should I be doing this? Is it okay for me to be writing about her, writing in her voice and things like that? I'll constantly come up to that sort of that sort of wall and then um, and try to challenge like my intentions and stuff. I think that tension is important too, to try to like to have that processing constantly. Mm-hmm. I think when you get too comfortable, that's an issue. Yeah. Definitely in a space like that. Mm-hmm. It definitely got, gave me the opportunity to see her in like these different layers that maybe I just wasn't capable of seeing before. Cause I started writing when I was 23. So I was still very young. Yeah. So I didn't really know much about anything. And then I think grasping onto like her life, understanding her life, understanding her Processing through trauma and like processing through motherhood and all these things, it was just very helped me become a, like a like a poet in so many different ways, but also helped me totally see her in like this light that I think I'll I'll always see her in no matter what because she mm-hmm. opened herself up in this ways for me. Totally. The main reason I kind of bring up that idea, I mean, it might be different for you who is you know close to your mother when you went into this project and you know that kind of closeness 
drew you into the project, it sounds like. I think of other people, maybe people in our program or maybe the children of people in our program and how we we might have this distance between our parents. It might be helpful to actually learn about our parents' traumas and their difficulties and, you know, the things that made them who they are because it just helps explain, you know, how they raised us, how they got to this point in their lives. And again, so often parents kind of keep us at an arm's length for these, this pain and this trauma. So we have a hard time empathizing with some of the things they do. So I think being able to sit down and explore our parents' traumas can be an important thing just because it gives us access into the person that they are. Even if, you know, like you might not have a close relationship with them, it can still give us access into what made them the way they are. And then maybe we can find, you know, a place of forgiveness or a place of grace just through understanding where they came from. So it's interesting hearing about like how that helped you and what you learned from your mother out of it. Yeah. Hearing you talk, I mean, think about just this little, little moment is actually kind of a big moment in the book of just understanding me as like the third child and how different I, I had it to my siblings, my older siblings. Mm-hmm. And like from my mother's perspective of like having a first child, it was just all this, it was very difficult for her to like hug and hold her first child because of like mm-hmm. the PTSD and postpartum yeah. depression. Mm-hmm. And then um, she had to try to work through that. And then the second child was a girl. And then she, um, there's more trauma that came from that because, um, as a child, my mother dealt with abuse. So having mm-hmm. a, gr- a girl for her was like triggering in a lot of ways. Yeah, so it was hard for her to break through that barrier as well. But then when she got to me, I think she almost like worked through a lot of that in a lot of ways where she was able to show affection and show those things. So, um, yeah, it was like this interesting processing thing that I never fully understood until I started re- reading her letters and writing the poems of like, me being the third child kind of allowed us to have this closeness because she had to work through these other things with the first two children. So it was, it was very interesting, like little things like that, like I would never know if I didn't write about her. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's super interesting. And yeah, I mean, if if nothing else, maybe a mother or a child listening to this podcast, maybe will feel like, or father might feel like they need to get a little closer and like just hearing from you and seeing how you gained a new perspective on your mother just by understanding a part of her life that, you know, she might've kept hidden otherwise is, is just a huge growth moment. And especially thinking about your other siblings and how the lineage of first sibling to third sibling, how things can change in those relationships. So that's huge. Another thing I want to talk about, it comes from our preliminary interview. And in our preliminary interview, you said most poets try to create a separation between themselves as they are and themselves as a poet. But with me, for the most part, I don't care too much for the distinction between the two. Everything in my poem aren't facts, but they are all true. They are my truth. I'm all in there. And I'm interested, hoping you can talk about kind of this idea of finding your own truth or finding, you know, all of yourself, all of your truth in your writing, especially kind of in this idea of writing from other people's perspectives. With Grace Engine, actually, so with Fractured Anthology, I eventually kind of realized that writing about my mother was a way to talk about myself through her and like, Mm -hmm. like, like, I guess, talk about like my own like bouts with depression and things like that. I grew up knowing that she dealt with these things. So I think it was a way mm-hmm. for me to talk about myself through her while still getting close to her. It was like this processing thing for me. So when I got to um, Grace Engine, I was like, all right, I spent like 
four or five years writing about my mother and I do kind of realize it, it did become a bit of a shield near the end. I was like, oh yeah, I'm to write a poem about myself in years. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I wanna write as honestly and direct as I possibly can. So I think a part of that is like yeah, the idea of like the the poet and the the author and all that stuff. For me to actually like gain healing from this, I have to be as close to the poem as possible for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know for some people this is not healthy because uh, some people you may not be may not be ready for this sort of like yeah. directness. So definitely like it's not like something I recommend for everyone. But for me to look at myself and look at like shame directly. I had to like make it clear to myself in some ways to the reader too that oh this is this is me in here. This is me trying to work through these things. So even in the poems, a couple of poems in a book that and Grace Engine that are like persona poems, isn't it? There's an erasure and it's kind of broken into three poems. And then there's a couple other poems that are like personification poems, persona poems. But I think even those there's like little things in there that I'm trying to think about. It's a little bit it's like tangential mm-hmm. in a way. So it's about like blackness and insanity and those sort of things. For the rest of the book, is just pointing directly at the thing and just looking at it directly. Because I think that reflection and like having to process yourself through that was very important for me and like healing just through the through the book because I just felt like I think I was at a point in my life was I I knew I couldn't afford to like not look directly at myself. And the poems for me was was that kind of processing machine where I had to like look at myself through the poems because that was a way for me to sit with these ideas for a long time and try to slowly peel back layers to understand myself more and understand like trauma more. Totally. For our listeners who have kept up with all of our episodes, they may recall a conversation we had with Jamie Ringlib and how they talked about for them when they're kind of doing their writing, they they get to that point of like they're writing close up to that emotional, like hard place. And then they kind of make that decision like, do I keep writing into that place or do I take a hard right turn and kind of take it somewhere else? I think that's important for all writers. It sounds like for you in this book, you needed to keep writing towards that emotional place. You needed to keep writing towards it, but not everyone, or it's, it's not a required place in poetry. There is that option of, you know, the fork in the road and you get to pick which path is best for you. And some moments in life may be best to write closer and closer to that emotional place but other times it might be okay to be like all right i'm gonna take a hard right turn here and bring in something really weird you know (laughs) yeah if nothing else like something i like to bring up in this podcast is like the endless possibilities with poetry and while i like talking about processing trauma and using poetry to help do that i think it's important just to talk about how everyone's line is different yeah and you know where that line is is different for everyone. So I think it's helpful to think about that. And I'm sure in your work, you have those poems as well in Grace Engine, you know, like where you're walking up and towards, you know, some emotional moment and you're like, all right, this is where I take the right turn instead of like walking closer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting hearing you talk about the directing at yourself in the writing and, you know, kind of being open and honest with yourself. And I just want to bring up one moment just because it feels so relevant in one of the poems that you're going to be reading later from one of the people in our program. And one of the lines there, just straight up, super honest and said, they say, most of my life, I've been a coward. And it's just something about those kind of vulnerabilities or those like kind of direct statements that I think really help show a deeper level, even though it's so direct. So I'm kind of hoping you could talk about this idea of direct moments of emotional emotional vulnerability in writing. 
Yeah, I actually had that, that moment, that line highlighted in my copy from yeah. the poems. Yeah, that, that stood out to me for the exact reason I think you're kind of, kind of connecting with too. Because I, yeah, I, I the last few years, I've been like kind of obsessed with those moments in, in the poem where like the poet just says, this is what I feel. And it's just like the most bare bones. It's like not trying to like pretty up the language. It's just like, mm-hmm. like there's a line in um, Nelly Diaz's poem. I think it's from The Desire Field. She says, I don't feel good. And it was it and what's around it is like so it sets it up so when you get to that moment, it's like so powerful. And it's like about like anxiety that she she's had and things like that. Is the way she works up to it is so powerful. So it makes those like very, very bare lines like have like this weightiness to it, because you know that that's like the, the poet and the this author collapses in a way of just looking directly at you. It's like this mm-hmm. is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um you kind of can take with it as you will, because I'm as vulnerable as, as can possibly be right now. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been just like, every time I read a poem that has like a moment like that, my eyes just like kind of glaze to it. So I, I tried to like do that in Grace Engine and try like, even in some newer work that's after Grace Engine, I'm thinking about those lines. This is how I feel. And this is where I'm at. I want you to know that. And I'm just going to write, keep writing into it or write like um, in a tangential way around it. Oh yeah, that's perfect. I think I'm going to use this moment to transition to the second part of our podcast. So for first-time listeners, the Personhood Project is more than just this podcast. It is a larger project where Joshua shared some poems with me, and I took those poems into the jail here in Central Texas that I teach classes at. I used his work to teach about poetry to the students in there. And then they wrote poems kind of inspired by his work. And then this podcast is me sharing that work with Joshua and then us championing them as poets. So let's start off with having you read a couple of your poems, and then we will read the poems that were inspired by your work. So if you don't mind, would you read Grace Division, please? Yeah. Just like a content warning um, for this poem, uh, it talks about like suicide. So just want to kind of give that uh, at the top. Thank you. Grace Division. I like repeating myself, that turn of the glass to find your print. It is like being called to in the same exact way every Sunday. During my second stay at Cypress Creek Hospital, I held my little maroon journal as ammunition. Reclaiming yourself is a skill, like warring is a skill. The hull and maul of the white space in my stomach held a religious ache. I didn't sleep for days. The meds were a beating metronome, a metamorphic season. To reclaim myself, I promised this sinning would save me. I am war again. Tried talking to a knife, half wanting the husk to outgrow me. I won't leave things out. I would dream often of turning a knife into my brother, but he would carry on living in my dreaming. I only let Ann visit me. He was always stronger than me. On the drunken night, Ann taught me how to knife fight with a spoon in his living room. My grandfather would carry with him a razor in his boot the size of his foot. I pocketed Ann's pistol on the way to his brother's house, and I ended up hiding it in the back of his green truck, leaving the door unlocked. We drank so much of death, we passed the bread without crumbling. 
but those mistakes are not gods, but shards unswept from the concrete. The broken think division will add to themselves, the risk in the mining of diamonds. The weight of his pistol pulled me down like children begging. Finding family in a psych ward is like abuse feeding wounds. Like switching places, the better bear witness. The turning ends where it begins. Two men turning God over like an apple in their hands. A cold yoke, teasing breaking. A sharp mirror warring itself into a witness. Wow, just hearing you read that just adds like a whole other level to the emotion of that poem. Thank you so much for reading that. I want to quickly share the writing prompt that we took into the uh, facility that kind of went around this poem, just so people are aware of what the people in our classrooms were kind of using as inspiration or could use as inspiration. And as a reminder, all the poems inspired by Joshua's work, along with the writing prompts, can be found on our website, roughdrafttx.org. Anyone can find them at any time and use them for their own writing prompts or have a deeper conversation with the poems inspired by his work. At its core, the poem, Grace Division, is a confessional poem where the speaker in Burton's poem recounts a time that they ended up in a mental hospital and all of the steps and missteps in life that led them to that point. The turning point in this poem is the line, but those mistakes are not God's. Here, the speaker realized that the past mistakes are not what defines him, thus allowing him to move on from them. Think of some past mistakes or missteps that might have led to where you are today. Write a poem that acknowledges them so that they don't become what defines you. Joshua, would you want to read your second poem, Elegy for Threats with Grace? Yeah. Yeah, I guess another content warner for this one it sort of details a lynching in the second half of the, the poem. Yeah, I just want to kind of give another heads up about that moment. Yeah, it references a man named Jim McOheron who was lynched in the early 1900s. Elegy for Threats with Grace. I sit with the word like schizophrenic until it becomes a color. I spent so many years being afraid to be black that now I'm only afraid of silence or the silence that it brings. A hunch that what is born in the earth can tear through it. The thread of history, the threat of history. What's dredged up from the earth is sturdy as teeth. When I speak quietly, I'm speaking to a family in East Still Springs, Tennessee, or Spring, Texas, saying, I'm sorry. Like how God was sorry when he witnessed the way Skirret Mountain split in two, like Christ's wrist crucified. In every old black man I come across, I see my grandfather his blue overalls hanging off of his body like his youngest child, who was named after him and who died of AIDS or overdose. His name was Henry, though he went by Clay. Some nights I feel as crazy as I did that night, screaming through the streets, swinging a knife at bushes and mailboxes. Jim McOheron shot the two white men dead when they harassed him. The rocks they threw at him 
were like unnamed pockets of earth. It took only a few days for the mob to find him with torches the color of rust and chained him to a hickory tree, setting his body afire, a light they took in with slurs and fists. As a child in school, I would go so long without speaking that people thought I was a mute. A child with words only inside him, like a hidden family is inside. But now on these days, I don't know what to do with my hands. Language is like a month ending with a fire. Royal Robinson lost his mind in the South too and died in Houston. He was a sign painter who painted little men with big eyes. They speak to him of raptures and spaceships, but he let them too far in. R, you're not a prophet and I don't believe in God anymore. My hands are threats, songs long enough to become prayers. Jay, there are bars of hot iron against your skin, leaving a valley glow. You didn't wince or cringe. You cursed those who burned you, never losing your nerve, not breaking into your last breath. I admire and despise that kind of perseverance. Yet I don't speak of it, like how much my indecision is decision. Wow, this, the similes in this piece are unreal. <laughs> I'm, I'm the type of person when I'm reading a book, I, I always have a pin next to me and I mark it up. I'm sorry for any of the people that kind of get triggered by that, but I'm, I'm definitely the type of person that marks it up. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of this book. I'm sure it's going to have so many underlines and stars all over it because the similes are so crazy. Thank you. I quickly wanted to read the writing prompt based on this poem that we took into the classrooms as well. In Elegy for Threats with Grace, Joshua Burton opens up about his feelings toward himself as well as his closest family and friends. The poem is used as a way to express feeling toward people that he was once afraid to share, but here he doesn't hold back. Write an honest poem where you share something with the people closest to you that you might not have shared with them before. Say the things you've always wanted to say. Express the feelings you've always wanted to express. Don't be afraid to include yourself in there as well. What are you afraid to share even with yourself? I'd love to get into the poems that were inspired by your work. Um, would you mind reading the poem called Closed My Cell In to Free My Thoughts? Yeah. Closed My Cell In to Free My Thoughts. I wake up to concrete walls and locked metal doors. On the outside of this case lies my mistakes, waiting to gnaw at my conscience. I leave for visits or recreation, but quickly return to the solitude because the thoughts of freedom and drugs is just too much for me. Being caged up is my new high. Here I can't change anything but the TV, leaving the thought of relapsing as an impossible. I love the impossible. I yearn for sober, productive life beyond my safe haven cage. 
I take a pickaxe to my thoughts, trying to find the hidden key to set to the set of handcuffs this life has on me. Then one day, while playing chess, I wake up from my zombified state. In this moment, in this cage, I finally feel free. I take the key of happiness and unlock the handcuffs that have shackled me for so many years. And for so many years, I thought those handcuffs were drugs. Only this day did I realize they were just thoughts. Thoughts of sadness needing numbing, thoughts of society needing quieting, thoughts of anger wanting to explode. All handcuffing me to any drug that would turn my mind thoughtless. Thank you so much for reading that. I really appreciate it. Wow. Uh, I can't wait for them to hear your voice reading it because it's, yeah, I think it's going to add a whole other layer for them. Where yeah. It, I will say that, you know, they wanted me to share with you before we get into talking about this poem is that this one was inspired by um, Grace Division, the one that you just shared. And they they wanted me to share that they absolutely loved Grace Division and it was kind of like an eye-opening poem for them, you know, so yeah, I wanted to share that with you because I think those little small moments are super precious. Do you mind if I share some of the the lines that really like caught caught me? Like, please do. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, there's a lot of moments here that I was just like, yeah, the pacing's also just really fantastic of the poem yeah. and the endowments and stuff. Yeah, I remember just being caged up is my new high. It's just like oh, that's such an interesting, what an interesting like mm -hmm. way to kind of mix those collapse those two things into one and. And just like, I think the pullback moment we mentioned earlier, like, I love the impossible is like one, one of those lines is just like, yeah, a, these lines just have me just sitting on them. Just like, wow, that's, that's so fascinating. Part near the end of, I thought those handcuffs were drugs. Only this day did I realize that they were just thoughts. And I was like, mm -hmm. that's, that's such a brilliant way to like understand addiction. It's not really the, the substance or the object is the idea of the object and then realizing yeah. that is just such a it's just a transformative moment if anyone like has struggled with addiction they can they, they kind of like can attest to that it's just like getting your mind to realize that is a separation between you and this actual thing and just one of the first steps to kind of getting better is just kind of like realizing that and pointing to it and the poem does a great job of building up to that moment too which is like fascinating yeah, I think you, as you mentioned, when you first started talking about the pacing is something kind of, I want to point out that where we go is Hayes County Correctional Facility. Typically, we also sometimes go to Travis County Correctional Facility, but here in Hayes County, it's it's a jail. So sometimes we see people moving in and out because it is a jail facility, which is kind of seen as a transitional, you know, correctional facility. So this student is, was his first time in the classroom and he said he had some background in writing music back in the day, being in bands, but for someone who didn't really have a lot of work in poetry to have this be the first poem that they bring to, yeah. you know, our classroom setting was, was, and still is kind of mind blowing to me just because yeah. as you say, like, like the expert timing of the pacing of this piece, the, 
the idea, as you all see, you know, if you go to roughdrafttx.org, that the line, I love the impossible sitting alone by itself. Yeah. That's totally like, something These I are do things too. that are so like, you know, took me getting towards getting MFA and spending yeah. 10 plus years on poetry that like, it's just so natural. And I just love seeing people's natural abilities come out in these classrooms. Yeah. And I feel like some of the, the, the best compliments I receive is like when someone says, I wish I wrote that line. Yeah. And there's like a lot of, a lot of lines here. I was like, well, I wish I wrote that. I wish, yeah. I, I, wish I could have written something like that. Cause it's like, this really poignant. I totally agree that that's what I felt like, you know, hearing him read it and then reading it myself later on. And, you know, I've spent several, a lot of time with this and, it's all shorter lines as people will see when they go to the website, but you know, each one really packs a punch. You know, it's definitely a free verse. There's two line stanzas, six line stanzas, one line stanza. So it's a little all over the place, but nothing, but not in a bad way. I don't mean all over a place in a bad way, just meaning there's a lot of variety in there and it all feels thoughtful. Every line, every stanza feels so thoughtful. Yeah, and, and getting comfortable with enjambments is like very hard. It took me oh, a few yeah. years to actually like figure out enjambments. Mm-hmm. And the poem is doing like a great job of just like the pacing and the enjambments as well. Yeah. And then when we get to the very end, like the ramping up of the repetition of thoughts of, we get thoughts of sadness, needing numbing. That's one stanza. And then we get another two line stanza, thoughts of society, needing quieting. And then one final thoughts of anger, wanting to explode. And we just feel that like build up with them through that repetition. It's so cool. Yeah. And just like needing num- numbing and needing quieting. The fact that they're kind of the same thing is like really mm-hmm. interesting too. Cause like, it's like this, this idea of like numbness is like a quietness. So it's just like mm-hmm. that, that reflection is like really brilliant. Yeah, and the distinction between the two and how, you know, this quietness, this numbing also relates to this idea of wanting to explode, which feels like, you know, complete opposite side of things from quieting and numbing, but like having both, you know, kind of balling up in someone is like, yeah, it feels so real. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, let's move on to the second poem here titled Deep Thought. Would you mind reading that one, please? Yeah. Deep Thought. I think blood is watered down. In this limited world alone, with no one around, when I was lost, only friends stepped up to the mound. How can we be the same? You've never been in correctional facilities where the insane visualize defeat. How we the same? You might be memorized now. I handle adversary. My insecurities is what compels me to repeat certain actions that fall into negative patterns. But I never think I'm better than. So I don't OMIT. I'm not gonna let that go over my head. That mean fell, forget, neglect, other individuals. Might be the same, but I'm not like the rest. Yeah, thank you for sharing these. I feel like, you know, for a poem called Deep Thought, <laughs> it, it definitely goes into the deep thoughts that it, that title suggests. Mm-hmm. And hearing your, your pacing as you're reading it and 
the poem. Yeah. Thank you so much for reading that. Yeah. The first lines, yeah. The like blood is watered down. is like really, that's such a interesting line. Mm -hmm. I love the little moments where like, um, how we the same is really, really fantastic. And just a moment before that too, of just like where the insane visualized defeat is also like a really fascinating line. Fascinating moment. Yeah, definitely. I, I I love the just going back to the first line you talked about the I think blood is watered down in this limited world alone with no one around. It almost feels like a play on the, you know, blood is thicker than water and you yeah. know, not having family there with them and who's sticking around when we get to the part talking about the correctional facilities and we think of who actually reaches out, who tries to stay in communication, who maybe shuns the person once they're in that setting and they, you know, they get to finally fi figure out like whose blood is thick and whose blood is watered down. Yeah. And it's so like, there's so much depth to it. Just like it says, deep thought, there's so much depth <laughs> to that. Just thinking about those things. And especially I myself haven't been in a carceral facility before and I haven't been in a, something like this. So I can't relate, but I can still feel the motions and I completely understand what he's saying through it. Another part that I find super interesting is you mentioned it is the how we the same, which this is a short like little prose block poem and that's almost the very centered line in it. So it feels like almost like the anchor of this piece. It feels like, you know, what's grounding it. And it's, it almost feels like through it, the, the writer is like, Hey, despite me kind of being in this place that kind of is looked down upon, I, I feel a growth in myself. Like I'm seeing a growth in myself and you're the one not growing. So now how are we not the same? You know, it's almost like a clap back at people for trying to maybe shun him a little bit. Yeah. It's one of those, those other like look in moments of just like, this is what I'm trying to say. I'm saying it directly to you as you read this. And it was, mm -hmm. yeah. And having like kind of in the center of the poem is also like a very interesting sort of placement as well. It's not the only question, but we get it a couple different times. We get, yeah. How can we be the same? And then how are we the same? you know, they're nearly the same question, not quite the same, but hmm. the repetition of it. And then we get later on, but I never think I'm better than. So it's just like, we might be in different places. I don't think I'm better than you, despite me kind of saying these things. And yeah, just the power of this conversation. It just feels like someone who has spent time in their deep thoughts again, going back to the title, which I, why I love the title so much is, you know, it's someone who's been in those deep thoughts and they've been in those moments and they're really living in it and living from the growth they've gained from it. We have another poem here by that same poet called Trust the Process. Would you want to read that one, please? Yeah. Trust the Process. This is a challenging task. Possibly through hard times, your gifts shows the most. Motivated by limited space seems to inspire you. Nobody cares about your emotional state. Exploit your ego and expand your priority. Never be a follower. Ask yourself what opportunities are available. Start editing your friends. Surely this will pay off in the end. Encourage yourself to go that extra mile. As challenging as it must seem, trust the process. The reason I wanted to point out, like I typically don't point out like what poems are written by the same author, but I do here just because 
they feel like they're in conversation with each other. Like I could see them almost being two poems in a collection right next to each other, or, you know, we could see you kind of a growth in a collection through one reading one earlier on and one later, like it feels like they're saying similar things, but in different ways, or maybe one is kind of like the growth and then personal growth. And then one's kind of like the sharing of that outwardly. So I, I appreciate how they feel so similar. Yeah. The editing your friends, I see that as like the, the growth part of like, was able to almost internalize that and like figure out, oh, this is what I need to do. And just the idea of editing like your friends is such a great, like it's just a poet thing to say too. It's like, totally. I'm going edit, to edit my friends, edit my friend group too. So yeah, that line definitely like stood out to me as well. Yeah. I mean, that was, especially again, for people who don't have it up in front of them, there's a line break there. It's start editing line break your friends, <laughs> which I think is just like going back to talking about the enjambment of the other poem previously but this one again is like start editing line break your friends which is so good again kind of going back to what i was talking about their connectedness we get that in encourage yourself to go that extra mile we see that growth that process that trying to be you know more than it, it could be in connection to the first poem deep thought it could be you know spending the time with yourself with the thoughts and things like that again i just wanted to praise the way that they are in conversation with each other in the way that, you know, these could easily go together, you know, show one larger picture, which is really cool. Yeah. And like the motivated by limited space seemed to inspire you. It's like really, that's a really captivating like moment. Like mm -hmm. that just like, it does connect with that first, like you're in those deep thoughts in this sort of confined space, but you're, you're like, I'm going to find the best ways to like utilize the space in a way that feels productive. Yeah. 100%. And I know the I know the people in the classroom just from working with them. This this poet I've been working with for, you know, several months now and just like seeing who they were or what their writing was even when we very first met each other to where it is now and their confidence as a reader and a writer. It's just yeah, just thinking about that motivated by limited space seems to inspire you and think about where they are in the carceral system and how much like literal limited space they have. And despite things being taken away from them, they still use what little they have in the work, which is just empowering to think about. Would you mind reading the next poem we have here? Who are you? Who are you? Convicted felon, liar, cheater and a drug addict. Most of my life, I've been a coward. The choices in life haven't always been the greatest. I was a very insecure young boy and man. It took a lot of soul searching, sacrifice, blood, sweat, and tears for me to be able to see myself for who and what I truly am, a king. This is the poem we referenced earlier with the amazing line, most of my life I've been a coward, which when we were in the classroom and he read, like I didn't, you know, I couldn't see the poem. He had it in front of him reading it out loud and he got to that <laughs> second line, most of my life I've been a coward. I was like jaw dropped on the floor kind of <laughs> moment because 
it just seems like it seems like a straightforward sentence, but the vulnerability and the directness of it is something that you know, I've read a lot of poetry, but something about that line stands out to me more so than any super poetic or even any direct line I've heard in poetry before. The I don't know, something about just calling yourself a coward that I feel like is not something that people do very often just creates this emotional tension like inside of me where I'm like, oh my God, that's just like gut wrenching. Yeah, that, the the other moment too is like I I was a very insecure young boy. It's like also just like yeah, almost go yeah. It's like it doubles with that the other line that talking about like being insecure is just like there's something about that too. It just feels like it's very um, catching for me in the poem. Like those moments of just like I'm a coward. I'm I'm insecure. Like it's it's not easy to like say that in the poem. Put that out there like that in such a direct way. So I think. Um, it's definitely commendable. Yeah, I think the directness is is everything here. Like, I mean, in life in general, trying to say those two lines is hard to do. I feel like in poetry, when we try to get to those, you know, those emotional places, we might try to turn or use a simile or metaphor, something that kind of flowers it up a little bit. But if you had those in here, it would it wouldn't have the same emotional impact as this directness does. And that's just what... I love about it. And especially a poem titled, Who Are You? <laughs> Which we know we see as like the direct response from the speaker is, I'm a coward. I'm very <laughs> insecure. Which is just like, <laughs> again, I keep yeah. saying it. I feel like a broken record. But that vulnerability, that directness is just wow to me. Yeah. Another thing that really stands out is the very last line. So this is one stanza, two, four, six, seven line poem. The second to last line being, for me to be able to see myself for who and what I truly am, line break, final line on its own, a king, the growth in such a short poem, and just being like, hey, I know I'm this, I know I've been a coward, or maybe I still am a coward, and I know I'm insecure, and I was insecure, but at the same time, that doesn't not make me a king, like I'm still that status like that's still how i choose to see myself is such an empowering moment as well yeah i, I didn't hear it until uh, i heard you just read it but like also a king you think of aching and it's like oh, this really interesting yeah. thing doubling there too because yeah. it kind of yeah I, I know yeah i didn't catch that the first time i, I read wow. it uh, that's also like this interesting play on words i think 100 percent. yes I, I honestly didn't catch it either but thinking about everything it says before yeah. that and just thinking about, you know, obviously reading it on the page, it is a space King K I N G. Yeah, it's a capital two, right? The K. Yeah. Capital King too, even more power to the self, but there's still that hiddenness to it that, as you said, the aching, they're still aching, which is, it might be in there and they might be okay with it, which is, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that when I speak with him in a couple of days. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. The next poem we have here is From a Warrior to a King. Would you mind reading that one? Yeah. From a Warrior to a King. Are you willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for your queen? I'm asking, are you willing to not only sacrifice your body but have a clear, honorable mind, body, spiritual connection, 
and intention with the woman you chose to call your queen. Of course, you will fight for her right, but will you be her emotional stability and her back? Warrior, are you ready to stand guard and sacrifice your life for this woman, your queen? Will you fight for her honor every day of your life? Are you willing to be at her service and at her side as a warrior should? Will you swear never to lie, cheat, or dishonor her and mean it with your life? If you are not willing to stand up, stand down, step down so another warrior can have her and do what is right. I also want to point out that the last poem that ends in A King was written by the same poet as this one here. So we kind of get another connecting poems situation going on, which is really cool. It's cool to see how I don't know, I just think about thinking of larger collections and thinking of how things connect. And in your poems, the ones you shared with us, every all of them had the word grace in it and just these small details that really connect something. So it's cool seeing the way they took this idea of like a king and how can I write about this idea in multiple ways. Yeah, the, the little the fight moment of just like, um, will you be her back? It's like, it's like such a, you'll really be like their posts. It's not saying I will hold you up and say i'm gonna be that that object that like mm-hmm. yeah that yeah so it's like oh that's like just a great like sort of yeah it's just an interesting way to say that i think in that in the poem no i totally agree and i think they kind of take things and twist them a little bit like you know this is kind of a topic that we've heard before in writing or in songs being there for your woman but especially coming from this place of calling them a warrior and then the person who they're standing up for is the queen. And we think about hierarchy. And in this situation, you know, the woman is above the hierarchy of a, the queen is above the hierarchy of the warrior. So we get this, how can you be of support of this woman? How can you help her? Not that, you know, not that she, um, like even needs it. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, not that she needs it, but like, how can you still step up when the time when she needs someone to have her back or when, you know, when she needs someone to stand up for her, how can you be that person? Just kind of thinking about what a warrior is to a queen. Like the queen calls on that person to do what she wants. So like, how can you be a stepping up for this person when they need you, which is just like kind of a cool twist of what you might hear in like a pop song or like a poem that, you know, where they're like, I am the king and this is the queen. No, it's like, if you want to be that king someday as a kind of the title suggests from a warrior to a king, like you need to show that this person is you're available to this person when they need you, which is, you know, a huge thing to say. Yeah. He's like submitting himself in this mm-hmm. way. That's really interesting. One of my favorite parts of this is the final, I'll just say three or two and a half lines. So we get, if you are not willing to line break, stand up, then we get a short little dash stand down, step down. So line break, another warrior can have her and do what is right. So we just get this transition moment of this one line that says, stand up, stand down, 
step down so which i think is just like you know we get that repetition of the stand up stand down that we get from stand to stand and then down to down which i think is just like a cool little like repetitive little like um rhythmic moment that helps us transition to the ending would you mind reading the next poem we have here called the new the true the new the true schizophrenic language god rapture and spaceships overalls in black is christ a child's hidden glow a prophet kids a dog a cat a turtle my wife's gold how do i include myself my love is ancient old an honest poem saying some things expressed as strange feelings unafraid to be afraid receiving life's beatings they didn't knock unjust inside my killer kid bedroom. A bearded plan, the witch is blind, non-flying on her broom. For if your clothes and didn't know what it was before, I hate that I'm the chosen one who knows the fucking score. Apologies if you're confused, frustrated, used, or bored. But you belong to me, you see, and truly are adored. I hear good luck, it's me, it's you. Go home, open the door. I am the key that must be used enriching all the poor. You fail to rise, bring the demise, the fires, in your eyes darkness abyss break down the rich they are pathetic flies time travel camp slingshot the light the king is in disguise stay close to me my perfect bride the fallen must arise the light and dark cannot coexist except these the prize Embrace new life, make love all night. My heart is deep inside. Read comic books and jam good shit. Yo, kid, it's a surprise. New earth future will be so great. You'll think that it's a lie. But wait, the God who is true and just shall provide for life. It's time, my son, true love has won. Receive and bless your life. Thank you so much for reading that. I know it's a it's a complicated poem. Um, again, for those who maybe don't have it up in front of them, hopefully you will pull it up, but it's all one stanza poem. Obviously, as you might have heard, it there's coupleted rhyme scheme for most of the lines. And two punctuations maybe one comma early on and then one period at the end and for me that lack of punctuation really adds a lot of i don't know imagery to the poem yeah. because they're not you know the 
as a writer, sometimes you add line break, you add commas, you add periods to help kind of guide your reader through it. But there's also times in poets, and I think of like C.A. Conrad, who writes without punctuation. And it's in a way where they want you to find the imagery. They want you, it's almost like, you know, like a word search where you're going in and finding the words and circling them. It's a similar thing where I feel like, you know, they want you to carefully read it. They want you to spend time with it to understand, you know, like where might a, a thought change or an idea change? Because even though it has the end rhymes, the couplet end rhymes, like the thoughts sometimes bleed into the next line, but you know, only halfway yeah. through it, which is just is very cool seeing this, what came out of this. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the reading it, it forces like so much like reader involvement that you're kind of like, I'm going to leave this here and you're going to figure it out as you read it. And you're going to kind of be along on this process. And you're going to be, you're going to be like surprised around like every corner. And like, I think the easy thing in the poem would have been to like have very, very short lines to match up with the, the natural breaks. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the way that it's like, it's almost like there's like an enjambment in the, in the line itself. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. You're like forced to like figure out like, uh, where, where does this pause go? And because of that, you, you're forcing like new readings. It's like, there's like little moments where I have to like, um, I read it slightly different and um, I, and it's not really, I don't think necessarily how the line was necessarily meant to be read, but mm -hmm. it's like little moments that just were like great, like new earth future, like just those three words together. It's just like really great. Like, but wait the God, like just like those little moments, like even though it's not like the complete thought itself, yeah. there, there's like such like unique ways of like speaking. Mm -hmm. And that's usually, um, something I rely on a lot in my work too, is just like try to like play with this sort of um, like just ways of speaking in the poem that may feel unnatural and like normal speak, but you have all the freedom to like do this in poetry, which makes, shows like the, the very powerful nature of poetry. Totally. I, I, I think freedom is such a great word and, you know, it's so easy to fall in the trap where you're, you know, like I want to make everything super clear. I want my poem to come across like, you know, I want this narrative to be super clear, but we talked about recently, which might've helped, you know, drive this poem is that you don't have to have a narrative that drives your poem. You can also have an imagistic poem or an experimental poem that kind of uses this idea of just creating images and where the image goes is kind of how you follow it. And I think this one maybe follows a little in between because I feel like I can still see a narration that kind of runs through it. But at the same time, there's so many really cool images. And I think the lack of punctuation just adds to those really cool images that just makes it so exciting to read. And again, for people who don't have it up in front of them, the th third line on here says, the prophet kids, a dog, a cat, a turtle, my wife's gold. Like there's no commas in there. So there's so many different ways where you could read you know, I read it as a list. So a prophet, comma, kids, comma, a dog, comma, a turtle, you know, but there are ways where you could read that differently. Yeah, a my, prophet, my... kids, a dog, like the word <laughs> yeah. kids, you know, like, yeah. it's just so cool to see it's that. It's like my wife's goal. It's such a great way to end that line. It's so like shocking. When I first got that, I was like, wow, that's, I, I would have never thought to end that line like that. Cause it goes on like the list. you like, you think that maybe naming like, things a kid would have or things like you have like as in childhood and you see the wife's gold i was like wow that's so it just yeah. it just affects the entire line it's like i have to reread this line and try to understand like the the following of that and just like there's just little things of like life's beatings like instead of like life's blessings life mm -hmm. beatings like it's just like little this is like the whole poem has like these little moments that are like wow this is so such an interesting 
phrasing or interesting twist on this is normal phrase that is rich with like the lyrical sensibility too and the sonic nature because of the rhymes and yeah it's like um a lot of mid rhymes and then the end rhymes so it's just like it's almost like every other word sometimes rhyming in a line and it's like it's doing it's doing more to make you stop so it's like when you hit that rhyme, it's almost like a commas after that, even if it's not supposed to be. So like little pauses, you kind of pondering on the rhyme itself. So it's just it's almost little things happening. The poem, even just the title is also brilliant too. <laughs> the new, the true, like it's doing the same work in the title that it's doing in the poem too. Yeah, totally. And I think that, you know, what hearing the, you know, the poet read it, he obviously he he feels internally these rhymes so hearing him read it, it almost feels like like a nursery rhyme like the da 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 like the rhythmicness of it comes out a lot more but it's it's so cool i think like what drives it for me and kind of what you mentioned is the unexpected and i think having so many lines go ways that you know you might your brain might think oh i know where this is going and then it's like nope it turns it on its head but that happens like so many times that that is like the distinct factor that is driving this poem you know there is the like i said a slight narration there's very imagistic poem but i think like for me if i had to choose one thing that is the driving factor of this poem it is unexpectedness it is a sense of you know you get to that third line and you you're not expecting it to say that then you're like oh wait what else am i not going to expect in this and it's almost every line there's something new is something unexpected that pops up which is just so cool yeah it's, it's very hard to like find like contemporary poetry that like is that has that effect of just like i have no idea where this poem is going to go next yeah and, like I, I read so much that i was like i can kind of like see where it's going i can kind of see what it's getting up to but like to write something that is just like like i have no idea where this is going to go i have no <laughs> idea like and and every place that has surprised me or taken me is better than what i could have imagined where it could have yes. been so it's, yes. like, it's it's very very difficult to do that and it, it's taking us unexpected places or we can't figure it out in the most beautiful way i think i just want to like i mean you know it's easy to maybe misinterpret what you're saying is like oh this, this is unexpected i'm not expecting that in like a negative way but this is like you're saying it in the most beautiful way like this is like doing it in yeah. such a cool like refreshing way that like you said like no one like there's not many poets doing something similar in poetry which is so cool yeah yeah i think one of the best things you can do is just like surprise like readers and give them something new like because poetry is so i read so much poetry so it's like i feel like it's kind of difficult to surprise me at this point and this poem like every step of the way like surprised me like i was like wow that's, that's such a great turn because it actually turns on itself a lot of times it's not like a poem that's just like just waiting for the turn at the end it's just like it's this turning thing that's like really really effective here no i totally agree and kind of thinking about that unexpected is um they told me that this poem was actually inspired by your elegy for threats with grace and you know the writing prompt that i gave them and just kind of going back to that writing prompt for a second i said write an honest poem where you share something with people closest to you that you might not have shared um, with them before. Uh, Don't be afraid to include yourself in there as well. What are you afraid to share even with yourself? So granted, you know, they probably didn't stick exactly to that writing prompt, but they still were like, yeah, that poem and that writing prompt really helped inspire this work. So just kind of thinking about, you know, what is the confessional nature of this poem or like, that just adds like a whole new like element for me is like looking into it is like what parts of this are confessional and then what exactly is it saying? So it's just 
so cool. Yeah, another moment like the, the second line of just overalls in black is Christ. It's like, yeah, like wow, like wow, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that completely unexpected, but also it's so big coming from the first line. That the first line does a great job of setting up. Uh, your expectation as a reader that this is going to be crazy, starting off with schizophrenic language, God, rapture, and spaceships. And again, no commas or anything. So it's just, you can read it however you want. But, you know, I kind of read it as a list. And I feel like it sets us up for the world of this poem so well. Something we've talked about in other episodes is we don't see a lot of end rhyme these days, especially coupleted end rhyme like this. So... We kind of talk about the reasons why people have moved on from it. And some people, I think maybe as Ebony suggested that it's a difficult thing to do and people move on from it or don't do it as much because it is actually hard to kind of end on that end rhyme in a way that's doing something new. And I think this writer does end rhyme really well. And I think that while some of the rhymes might be things we've heard before, like before and score, bedroom, broom, gold, old, Everything feels, as we said many times in here, like new and surprising in a way that the end rhymes don't feel dated. They don't feel like something, yeah, I'll just say dated. They don't feel dated. They feel new and refreshing. Yeah, and I didn't realize it was in, it was in rhyme until like almost like middle of the poem. Yeah. That's how like that's how effective it was because it kind of, I think it threw me off because it's like middle rhyme too, like mid rhymes. So mm-hmm. it's like... I was like, well, everything is just rhyming. So I, yeah. I, I didn't yeah, pick up yeah, on it totally. to like, like maybe like, like almost like 10th line or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get lots of end rhyme, internal rhymes, alliteration, like throughout the whole thing, the whole thing just feels like almost sing-songy in a way that you, it distracts you from the end rhyme or I mean, not distracts you. It's just like it adds on to the end rhymes where nothing stands out because it's all standing out. The, the rhythm of this poem all stands out in a way to where nothing individually stands out. So yeah, I think that's a great way of looking at it. We have one more poem here that was also written by this same author of The New, The True. Would you read okay, please? Yeah. Okay. So like the dude made a boat and made room for all types, had a wife and love ham and was used as a plan to recycle a pass so a culture could last along with rest by new words, by the best. Dust, clay, filth, and a home going back to the first without hearing beyond every word of the song. In the prime of your life for 10 bucks and a wife and a marvelous gift to make best of the strife. One may rain down a flood or take advantage of blood, but you'd rather make an awesome snowman of mud or maybe go for a swim there and take a shower in sin, preferring that you lose so the rest can now win. Okay, so like I'm the dude who's got the boat, now get in or you'll sink. For those who might not be able to tell, um, this poem was inspired by Noah's Ark. 
and we get Love Ham, which is one of his sons, and we just get this idea of sin is in here. Um, take a shower in sin when you go swimming, which is kind of the idea of people not on the boat. And the very last line, okay, like I'm the dude who's got the boat. Now get in or you'll sink. It's just like, I don't know, such a cool, unique retelling of Noah's Ark in this poem. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the way it retells it is really interesting. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this uh, Cliff, Cliff Notes version of it, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it, give it to you th- through my eyes in this really yeah. interesting way. And I love how at the beginning, we see at the beginning we get okay, which is the title, and then in the second to last line we get an okay again, and those two lines almost like mimic each other. So at the beginning we get okay, so like the dude made a boat, and then at the end we get okay, so like. I'm the dude who's got the boat now get in or you'll sink. So it's just this idea of like the, the shift of the boat and who owns the boat, which I think is cool. So it's like almost the whole poem is a retelling, but it's almost like, I don't know. I think of like the quote unquote prophets who kind of stand on corners and like yell at you about like Jesus and things like that. Like it almost gives that kind of vibe where it's like retelling in a way that feels so casual that, you know, you'd almost see it on one of those giant signs written in Sharpie. But then when you get to the end, he's like saying like, I'm this new prophet, like come to me, which is this, it feels like a funny kind of critique of um, the religion. Yeah. Even just the way it starts, it's like, okay, like let me tell you the story. So it's like, (laughs) it takes kind of like a little bit of the, the air and like earnestness or like seriousness away from it in a way that it just gives it to you. And I can just, playful way that feels like yeah it's like it's taking the taking like kind of this sort of seriousness out of it i think it's just very interesting approach mm-hmm. i want to point out one line towards the center of the poem again for people who will pull it up it's all most of the lines are fairly short but one line really stands out as longer than the rest and the line is without hearing beyond every word of the song and I think that line is like one of the more poetic lines in here. So it's super interesting that it kind of stands out on its own like that. And I don't know, maybe I'm looking too deeply into it, but it just feels like a metaphor for how we look at, you know, the Christian God or how we look at stories in the Bible, how we're trying to find, it says without hearing beyond every word of the song, how we just try to read this book and try to take things so literally and then use it to suppress women to suppress people of color like you know, like whatever you know people yeah. use christianity to do and it's just like if the one poetic moment or like the one like moment that feels truly poetic and it's a line that stands out from its length and and what it's doing and it's just so cool where it's just like here's my commentary on things that's kind of hidden in this like fun almost i wouldn't say quite persona poem but it almost like like i said it feels in my head like embodying that kind of crazy prophet on the corner with a sign yelling at people. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of the line in the previous poem that's like anti, very anti-capitalist, which is like break down yeah. the rich that are pathetic flies. So it's like it kind of, I see the kind of same tone in that, that critique that you're thinking of. Yeah, totally. And I think, again, it helps knowing which poem some of these poets wrote and seeing how they tie together because it helps, I think it helps give us a, bigger mindset of what's going on here and again i think with most of these poems we've had there's four total poets that you know that presented or had poems to share with you and three of those four had two poems each and of those two poems they all felt like they lived in the same world and i think even these two the 
the new, the true, and okay feel like they're live within the same world of body of poetry, which is really cool to see what he created or like the the kind of chaos that comes out of these poems. And one thing that really sticks out to me again, just kind of going back into deeper moment of this poem is, I know I've talked about the ending, but the kind of the choice it leaves the reader, which I think is a cool thing to do. The last two lines being, okay, so I'm the dude who got the boat. Line break. Now get in or you'll sink. And just like leaving that ultimatum with the readers, I think is really cool. It's not something I see a lot in poetry. Kind of transitioning from there, um, is there any last words that you would like to share with these readers? I mean, just something of any words of encouragement or any, you know, just like, I always try to encourage them to keep writing, you know, so just like anything from you as someone who just read their body of work that you would like to share. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's really great being able to read all these poems and like seeing like just the different types of different styles. I know for, I know for me, like uh, when I first started, like, taking poetry seriously the the best thing that i could do is just read poems mm-hmm. and then I, my writing came out of like reading work and stuff so yeah yeah see if you can like seek out like authors that might work for you and then just like obsess about these authors mm-hmm. like um and yeah and, and you're and it, it'll inspire you just to write you can like just write reflections off of their poems and stuff and just seeing like that world is, is just really revealing once you find like that one poet that can like speak to you and just to dive into their work would just be like amazing. So yeah, that's like an earlier like sort of poet thing of like finding like that one that you just click with and then just, it, it, it kind of open up for you in a lot of ways and you'll see how there's other poets like processing things and then you'll be able to hopefully process things in your life and like experiences through the poem in that way too. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that insight and for sharing your poems with them and being a part of this project again, like they really gravitated towards your poems. And that's kind of why this week I wanted to spend a little extra time, you know, on their writing because they had so many great pieces that came out. So thank you so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for having me. I want to thank Joshua Burton for sitting down with me today. I also want to thank the incarcerated folks in our program that shared their work with us, as well as the San Marcos Arts Commission for making this project possible. A special thank you to our sound engineer, Nathan Parnell, and graphics designer, Jules Tunnell. Until next time.